keeping with our uh, theme this year that uh, you'll remember that Pastor Steve brought to us a couple of weeks ago there, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, in keeping with that, I went ahead and designed the sermon about commitment this morning. Before we get into that, we should pray. Our Father, we're just thankful. Thankful to be one of your chosen. Thankful to be in your presence. Thankful to be able to take the name of Jesus on our lips and recognize him as Savior and Lord because we know that we are certainly unworthy of your grace. We're certainly not in a position of boasting or being able to uh, claim that we have somehow uh, contributed to our salvation, but it was all to do with the uh, atoning work of Christ on the cross. And so we're just grateful for that this morning as we start into this message. I pray that you'll settle our hearts and uh, encourage us as we go through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And uh, this morning I have a fictitious story to start off with and uh, I was faced with a bit of a problem because you know I want to I wanted to give this fictitious person a name <clears throat> but uh, then I was thinking of all the different names we have in the congregation and I I didn't know who to to uh, pick on because everybody will think that I'm picking on them or something so so I had to come up with a very neutral name so I decided to uh, pick on a, a name of Juanita. <laughs> well, actually, uh, I, I, I thought of about Juanita, but uh, uh, <clears throat> since she was leading worship this morning, uh, I thought, well, we better, we better give her a break. But anyway, so Larry. I don't think we have a Larry in the congregation. And here we go. Uh, you see if you can diagnose this problem with Larry, this fictitious character. And there's a pattern in his life that I'm sure you'll pick up on. Larry's in his early 30s. He was raised on the outskirts of London. His parents divorced when he was 11. Larry did fairly well in school, and he was known for his abilities playing the clarinet. But he gave it up because he didn't really enjoy practicing. When Larry was in university, he dated a few different girls. This mostly went on for five to six months, but he generally brought an end to the relationship when any of those women started to get more serious. Larry's friends would say, you could always tell where Larry had been because there was a trail of broken hearts. When Larry graduated, he was hired by an electrical hardware uh, company, and he was trained as a salesman. For the first few years, he did relatively poorly in his sales, but his boss thought that Larry showed great promise, and if we gave him some time, he probably could uh, get much better at that, at uh, bringing in a profit for the company. 
Finally, it was nearly into his fourth year when things turned around for Larry and he started to sell equipment so much, so much so that he was spotted by a competitive company who offered him a sales position with a few perks. And Larry gave it some thought but decided that it was too good to pass up. So Larry started with this other company. Larry likes to read. He has an enormous collection of books. Many get started, few of them get finished. Larry's lack of follow-through has created some problems at work, including a reprimand from his boss, saying that he is relatively poor at returning phone calls from his customers. Larry is usually in need of reminders from others because of his poor attention in company meetings where he misses out on responsibilities that are given to him. On a spiritual level, Larry professes faith in Jesus Christ, but he admits that he is having difficulties and struggling in his faith, claiming that he has more questions than answers. Last year, he joined a small home study group, but he didn't stay with it. He said it just wasn't working out. Over the past six years, Larry has had several different mentors, and he has met with a pastor of four different churches. He always likes to get a second opinion. But at the end of all this, Larry is discouraged, frustrated by his spiritual life, and as he gets older, he continues to become more confused. In the end of it all, Larry complains... There is something wrong with the Christian faith. It just doesn't seem to suit him very well. Most of his complaints, however, have nothing to do with his understanding of the Bible. It has more to do with how things just aren't working out for Larry. Poor Larry. I uh, don't suppose there's anybody out there that doesn't know where the problem lies with Larry. It's not to do with anything but a word that starts with C and it sounds like omitment. <laughs> yes, the real problem here, if you hadn't figured it out, is just about commitment. And it's interesting, a few months back in the summer I met a, a young guy who uh, I got into a bit of a conversation with. And uh, as time went on, we talked a little bit about work and, and that kind of thing. And uh, uh, I was interested. He, he, uh, he said after a while that uh, he, he was the kind of guy that didn't want to uh, get up in the morning and go to a job. He was the kind of guy that wanted to get up in the morning and do what I want to do, is what he said. And I thought, oh, wow. I've been milking cows all these years, and all I had to do was get up in the morning and decide, well, I don't want to do that. And uh, I guess the point I would make there is that that is an example of uh, not a commitment. That's an example of no commitment at all. And it's probably just as well for the sake of any employer, since every business and every, in fact, every employee needs to ask themselves 
a few questions. First of all, who am I? Second of all, if you're a business, why do I or why do we exist as a business? What am I here for is another good question. What is it that I'm supposed to be doing is another question. What am I supposed to be doing here? And if you want to be a successful employee or a business, those questions are going to need to be answered and committed to. And for the Christian believer, the questions have been answered. Simply that I am a created man or woman by God. Secondly, I have a sin problem. Thirdly, Jesus, my Redeemer, took my sin on the cross and I live for him. Because of his great love for me and for what he did for me, his redeeming work on the cross, I love him. And my life now belongs to him. I serve him regardless of what it costs me. What he wants me to do, I do. I am his servant. And therefore, I will honor and serve Christ my Savior regardless of what it means for me. That is what it means to, have a, to uh, be a committed to Jesus Christ. Now that said, I should just take a break here for a second and say, if you happen to be looking at me and saying, uh, wow, that guy's really got it all together. Well, probably you weren't really tempted to think that. But anyway, uh, I don't. And I'm very grateful for the fact that my salvation doesn't rest on my commitment to Christ. There's not going to be some kind of a report card later on when we reach the, the great judgment day and, and God says, uh, well, you weren't really quite committed enough. However, we don't have a great commitment to talk about. We have a great Savior to talk about. And it's about His work and what He's done for us. That said, the flip side is that uh, we are going to have to commit to Him. He does call us to be, the, to be that kind of devoted to Him. And I am concerned that today the Christian gospel has been repackaged and retooled to fit us, and to fit the popular idea that in fact I am God and that somehow Jesus Christ, whoever he is, is there to just bless me in whatever I do. And uh, if, if I have that, then uh, that's going to be just working out great. I can just get up in the morning and do whatever I want to do. And uh, God's just going to smile down on me and it's going to be great. You know, I'm reminded of the Hindu religion, actually, where there's many gods. And uh, what you can actually do in that case, you get a god that, that wants to, uh, uh, that, um, that you, you, you find uh, uh, to be not serving your purposes, then you move on to another god, because there's lots of them. And uh, that shouldn't be a problem, but that's not the truth. And... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of our, uh, our study in uh, the book of Daniel some time ago. You remember the story of Shadrach, 
Meshach and Abednego and uh, how they were about to be heaved into the fiery furnace. In Daniel chapter 3, if you want to go there, I'll just read it here, but Daniel chapter 3 in verse 14, And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now then, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harps, pipes, and all other kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now, if I was a, a guy that chose my God as how he was serving me, that wouldn't work out very well, would it? Because I'd say, the flazing, the flazing, biry, the biring, the, 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 the flaming biring. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The fiery furnace. The hot thing there, yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to get thrown into that, so this is going to be a problem for me. In verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But, in verse 18, even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see what he's saying? I belong to the Lord. He is one I'm serving, period. That's commitment. So... get over to our passage of scripture here in Joshua 24 which I unfortunately removed my marker from there you are Joshua 24, <clears throat> starting at verse 14, there is this call to commitment from Joshua, who, who knew these people very well. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And then he says in verse 15, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. You see what he's done there? He's calling them to a commitment. A commitment to Jesus, sorry, a commitment to the Lord. <clears throat> And, uh, of course, uh, it extends to us in this day because we are also called to commit to Jesus Christ. But he's calling, to, uh, calling them to a commitment to the Lord. And then he says, weigh the alternatives in verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. 
So you've got a, options here, you people. You have the options of uh, idolatry, which there evidently was some among them. He uh, recognizes, of course, that uh, Abraham, when he was first called by God, living back in Ur of the Chaldeans, he had some idols. He was involved in idol worship, and they may have come along with him. I don't know how that all played out. There was the gods of Egypt, <clears throat> and the people were certainly there for centuries, and they probably picked up some, some uh, idols there. And then there is this fact that if you read the book of Joshua, it's all about uh, the many victories that the Lord gave to the people as they were entering the promised land. Think about uh, Jericho. I always go back to that one. You know, the, the mighty fortress that w existed there and a bunch of people walking around for a week. Then on the last day, they all blew the horn and, and shouted really loud and the walls fell down. There wasn't any question that God was doing the fighting for the Israelites. And so they knew that they, they watched this happen. They knew that it happened, and they knew that um, the gods of those Amorites were no match. They were no gods at all. And so what he's asking them to do, choose this day whom you will serve. If, it, if you want to serve somebody, think about it. The gods of the Amorites, will they help you? What about those idols that were in Egypt when you were slaves? Were they helping you there? Um, and then he says, uh, sorry, I'll just back up to verse 15, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your, <coughs> the gods your forefathers served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so if you had to think about that for a, a moment or two, uh, obviously Joshua is not able to go to his household and say, you children of mine, you wife of mine, you everybody in my household, uh, today I'm deciding that you are going to serve the Lord. You are going to have a commitment to the Lord. You know as well as I do that that doesn't work. There has to be a personal decision. And so Joshua is not saying that he's making that decision for them, but he is saying that as far as it depends on me in that land, in that house that I live, in my sphere of influence, it's going to be all about me uh, serving the Lord and coaching you to do the same. That's going to be my job. It's commitment in that, on that level. Well, if you get down to verse 16 and 18, then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. 
And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. You see what they're saying back to Joshua? You're preaching to the converted folks here, Josh. We, you're, you don't have to tell us about that. Sure, we'll serve the Lord. That's not going to be a problem. We, we saw what he can do. This is going to be, we're, we're, in, we're in the camp. We're in. You can count on us. But in verse 19, Joshua comes back with, Nope, you're not. He says, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. Did you know that there's a, a verse in the Bible that says that God will not forgive your sins? He will not forgive your rebellion? Kind of sobering, isn't it? We better find out what that means. And then in verse 20, he says, If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, All right. Well, he didn't say all right, but he said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. And then I would say this is a moment where Joshua gets in their face in verse 23. You see where it says, now then? That said like, now then! Line in the sand, you people. Throw away the foreign gods that are among you. Joshua knows this people very, very well. And if he knows them, the Lord certainly knows them. And what was going on there in Shechem was uh, a thing that is not uncommon to man, and we see it all the time today. Say one thing, do another. We are uh, we're wonderful at taking the easy road, and it's easy to say the words easy to say the words not so easy to follow that up with a real commitment well you know today we have popular evangelism and it usually starts with a sinner's prayer doesn't it at least it was back in my youth that was a common thing to uh, get you to say the sinner's prayer. And I think that there's a, a contingent of society anyway that actually believes that, you know, once you've said the words, you get the ticket. You're going to heaven then. You're, you're all set. It doesn't have to affect your life that much because you say the sinner's prayer and you're good to go. Like the folks in Shechem, we will follow the Lord and yet in their back pocket or in their suitcase or in their house somewhere, there's a bunch of little idols that they've 
They're bowing down and worshiping at the end of the day. That doesn't seem like devotion to me. And the sinner's prayer is a wonderful way of starting off. I mean, uh, it, it's, it is the idea that you repent and you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Understood, it's going to have to happen that way, but also it is the idea that, you know, you need to, you need to face the challenge that without Christ, our destiny is not someplace good. Our destiny is hell. And that's not good. Without Christ, who came along and woke us up, got our attention, brought us back from the dead, and spoke truth into our lives and made sure that we were in that place where we were preached the gospel to and the gospel seed took root and started to grow within us and we started to recognize the absolute poverty that we were in, the absolute need we had of a Savior. And this is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, examine yourselves to see if you're still in the faith. You know, there's a lot of airplay given to the idea that you shouldn't be judging me. Well, you don't need to judge you. You need to judge yourself. We're really pretty good judges of ourselves if we want to have a critical eye there. But you need to judge yourself and examine yourself to see if you're still in the faith. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, and uh, verse 37, whoops. Anyone, Jesus said, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That is a call to total commitment. To weighing the alternatives and to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And uh, if that starts with a sinner's prayer, great. But keep in mind, you got to go home and scour the house. And I'm not suggesting you have idols at home, but I'm suggesting that those sins that you harbor in your heart, that you keep there, They've got to go. They're like little idols. If they're more important to you than Jesus Christ is, leave them in the ditch. Burn them up. Do whatever you got to do to get rid of them. They've got to go. Don't kid yourself. He will not forgive a sin that you know have no intention of giving up on. Well, it's interesting having seen that, um, that uh, pattern of making a decision, weighing the alternatives. We see uh, the similar pattern with Jesus if you turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. 
And starting at verse 38, we are in the Garden of Gethsemane. verse 37 he says he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. There isn't any question that Jesus was totally committed to this work. But have you ever considered the fact that if he did lose heart in this whole thing, he knew it was going to happen, he knew that the the he was about to be arrested. His betrayer was on the way. He was going to be taken and he knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to have to suffer all this hideous death on the cross, but he also knew that there was going to be a separation from the Father for a short time. And he had lived a sinless life. What if he had said, well, this is a bit too much for me. Remember, I think it's Luke's gospel, talks about he was sweating like uh, droplets of blood. This was extreme, extreme stress. There was anxiety. He was staggering. The Son of God was staggering at this point. At the truth of what he was going to have to face for you and I. What if he had just said, can't do it, can't do it. You know, Adam's fallen sinful race are just going to have to go and pay for their own sins because I can't do it. But he also was considering the alternative. The alternative was that those 12 disciples, all those people before, all those people after, and you and I, he would be letting go without him going to the cross, without him taking the penalty for our sins, our future would be hellish. And so he took a look at the alternatives. And he knew that by denying the uh, How do you put it again? The cup, yes, the cup. If this cup could be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. If he didn't take that cup, we would be sunk. However, his mind informed, no doubt, by... Psalm 94, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. He just couldn't let us go. Think about that. He just couldn't let us go. And as Hebrews 12 says, 
he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was a decisive move that the Son of God did there. And you'll see as you read on a little bit further in verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. I think Luke's gospel says that there was a a single angel that showed up and ministered to him. That was a very merciful thing as well. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then in a very decisive moment, in verse 46, Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Well, you all know what happened. It was a terrible, hideous kind of death. But it was a glorious, glorious resurrection. And he does sit at the right hand of God the Father. And so, if you happen to be a person who lives in a fog of confusion about what it is to be committed to Jesus Christ, think about that. This is to be a, a time of drawing the line in the sand. You consider the alternatives, you make a decision, and you draw a line in the sand. From now on, I'm going to serve the Lord. And you've got to personalize that. Not just about uttering the sinner's prayer or some external creed and then go on living the same way as you'd, you were and pretty well like everybody else does. I guess to personalize this, I ask you this morning, can you live while holding back on Jesus? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, there's an interesting uh, word given after Peter preaches his sermon. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So this morning, if you're asking, what should we do? Well, 
It starts with a simple act of obedience. And yes, I'm talking about baptism. And uh, that's a very practical thing, and it was important to them. And, and, and Peter uh, certainly says that right there, repent and be baptized. You see, the thing is, I'm not going to go on about this. I know that baptism today has been, uh, I would say, diminished in its meaning because I know that there are many churches that apply baptism to babies. And that uh, will be up to them to, to decide whether that's right or wrong, I guess. But uh, I guess all I'm going to say about it is that baptism, I think, is designed to be a line in the sand moment, isn't it? Baptism. From now on, I don't identify with the world, with the sin that I had. I am raised from the dead with that symbolic sploosh, sploosh, getting raised out of the water and being cleansed and being raised to new life. It's a line in the sand moment. And if it's taken out of our hands and becomes something where somebody does it for us, isn't that a little bit like uttering a, some kind of creed or doing something that it, it's, 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 not a, it's not a personal thing is what I'm coming at. And so, there it is. It's about commitment. And uh, this whole time has been... Uh, I hope an encouragement for you and possibly a challenge for you. Uh, I think I, I do my disclaimer every time I ever preach and that is I don't want you to think that I'm looking at you from some kind of a place of perfection up here. I remember Roden Evans used to say, uh, uh, I'm only a beggar telling other beggars where to get food. So this is it. It's about commitment. But remember, salvation isn't bound up in your commitment because you're prone to fail. You're prone to wander from Christ. And that's all right because grace brings you back. He is a loving God and he's able to do that. But let's not kid ourselves. There needs to be a commitment to Jesus Christ. Father God, we're just grateful now for your goodness. We're grateful for your grace because we know that we're so, so very prone to wander from the God that we love. Prone to find ourselves tangled up in sin again and again. But today, Lord, I pray that you will spell it out for us and etch it into our hearts to give up those foreign gods that are among us and throw them into the weeds and remember that we live for you and you only. Because we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.